Well, good evening. It's good to be here on a Wednesday night. I have a couple real quick announcements for you. We have uh, last Sunday morning, you'll remember, remember Curly and Larry were up here Sunday morning? <laughs> it was fun. Uh, they were here to share with it. John and Chris were here to share with you about uh, kind of our re-emphasis for the, our Mexico missions outreach for the de- December. In the past, we did shoeboxes, then we did gift bags, and we did, we've done different things, but this year we're going to do a slightly different thing, and, and we're working with, with uh, Jeannie Sue. We're going to send a team, and the church has a van, and if you don't like to drive in Mexico, you don't want to drive, but you want to go and serve, there's a van, and you can be a part of that team. Uh, I think there's a minimal uh, or a, a maximum amount of people that can be a part of that team. So you have to talk to Chris. I think it's 11. And you can go down there. We're going to do an outreach. We're going to share the gospel. And then your $25, if you, if you invest in this with us, your $25 goes to buy a gift uh, for a, a gender-specific gift, I might add, for a little girl, a little boy, and then some food. And at the outreach, they're going to just have a real simple meal, beans and rice, uh, for the community and that they minister to, Las Brisas. It's a work camp for the Guatemalans, actually, that have come up across the Mexican border, and they're kind of, they do this, they grow uh, tomatoes and do the work for McDonald's. I think it's McDonald's. I'm not sure what, some big company in America that has, but it's a work camp. And the people are very impoverished, but they have children, and we can reach them through our missionary and the gospel and everybody has a chance. So it's an outreach that we're doing. You can be a part of it. you got to talk to Pastor Chris. Or you can give. And if you give, then that is going to go towards buying a gift. I'm not sure how many kids are there. There's a lot. So we do need a lot of participation. But we're just trusting that the Lord will, will do that. And you can be a part of that. So you can talk to uh, Pastor Chris, who actually is on vacation tonight. But uh, Kenny. Kenny is around. So this Sunday morning, you can talk to him about it, or you can see somebody on the patio uh, and donate your money and be a part of that. And also, uh, the surrendered group, our young adult group, is, is going to wrap Christmas presents for free for single parents. They're just doing an outreach to single parents that are really busy and for seniors that are 65 plus. So Esther and I, maybe in a couple of years, we'll, we'll be able to take advantage of that. But, but 65 plus, if, I mean, they want to bless you, and it's for free. They're doing it because they want to do something special for the church. And they thought they'd, they'd just reach out to some singles that might, you know, find this time of the year to be really busy with their little ones. And so they're going to start that. That'll be, uh, there'll be information on the patio this Sunday uh, about that as well. So you might want to take advantage of that. And then tonight... Uh, we're going to pull out these pews over here on the right-hand side. So we've got 112 women that are going to be here on uh, Saturday for the Women's Christmas Brunch, a guest speaker, worship, and, and brunch served by the men in the fellowship. They're going to be serving the brunch, serving the ladies, and it's going to happen over here. So we have to move these pews out. So after church, if some of you younger ones, not the old guys, but the young guys, we need your guns and, and your help, and John's going to direct you, but if you can help right after the service tonight, we'd really, really appreciate that. So those are our announcements tonight, and we're going to get into God's Word. We're in Exodus chapter 5, Exodus chapter 5, and I'm so glad that you come on Wednesday night so that we can just study chapter by chapter. Just 
this is our midweek study, but we're studying the Word. We're reading the Bible. We're applying the Scriptures. And there's a lot to learn in this wonderful Old Testament book about God redeeming His people. They're lost in Egypt. They're not lost from Him or His vision, but they're, they're being afflicted by a Pharaoh that is taking advantage of them and building. He's building. He's building, building, building. And even today, you can go over and see some of those some of the buildings and some other things that the, the, the children of Israel were in bondage for 400 years. They were slaves. And they've been crying out, God, save us. When are you coming to deliver us? We need a deliverer for 400 years. And God, in the past few chapters in Exodus, has been preparing Moses as the deliverer. The Exodus theme, the theme of Exodus is God redeeming his people. And this theme goes throughout the whole Bible because Jesus came to what? Redeem you and I. From what? From sin. Egypt represents sin, and God's people are there. And God is going to redeem them because he loves them and he hasn't forgotten them. And he's been preparing Moses, who has not been really um, cooperating with God. He's been doing everything to say, God, don't pick me. God, I'm not the right man. I I don't want to be... I don't want to be the one to do this. I failed when I first tried. I killed somebody, and that didn't work, and I'm the wrong guy. But God's been preparing Moses, and now he's sending Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh, and he's going to talk to Pharaoh. That's where we are in chapter 5 tonight. Uh, Moses meets Pharaoh is the name of my study, and after we pray, we'll jump right into it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. It truly is a, a light to us, and I pray that you would speak to us. But, but Lord, first I'd like to spend a little time praying for this nation. It's so broken. All of these, these uh, men that we're seeing in, in the news and, and congressmen, men in our society, these so-called leaders, they're failing, they're falling to sin and power. And Lord, it, I can't help but but also want to pray for these women that have been broken by these men. And just we just ask God for a revival in our nation. We pray for its leadership. We ask God that, that men in the nation's capital that lead our nation and, and women that are working in the place of leadership, Lord, that they would be righteous. Because we know that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And so we do pray for our nation, Lord. We're concerned, and we're thoughtful, and we're distracted by by all the stuff that comes out each day. And yet, Lord, we have a mighty and awesome God. And in your word tonight, you prove again your faithfulness, your faithfulness to the children of Israel, your faithfulness to to Moses and his brother Aaron, your faithfulness, Lord. Teach us, God, as we study this portion of Scripture now, how you're so faithful. And, Lord, we trust you and love you, and we just pray again for our nation and, and, and revival in our nation. In Jesus, amen. Amen. It's at the end of chapter 4. Uh, we ended last week or the week before with Moses and Aaron. And they're going to meet the elders of Israel, as God had instructed them in chapter 4, and it's in verse 29. If you just go back a verse or two, 
Chapter 4, verse 29, Moses and Aaron went and gathered together the elders of the children of Israel. So they've gone to Egypt from the mountain from Midian. They've gone all the way, traveled to um, uh, <clears throat> back to Egypt where Moses was born. And verse 29 says, they got together all the, the chief, the leaders of the elders of the children of Israel. Verse 30, and Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Remember, Moses said, I'm not the right one. He made excuse after excuse after excuse and finally says, okay, then your brother's going to be the spokesman, not you. And so it's, it's Aaron who's going to be speaking, but Moses is the one that God's really working through. But all the words which God spoke to Moses, Aaron is now saying. And, and then they do this, this signs. Remember the signs that God had shown Moses. I'm going to be faithful. There are going to be these miraculous signs that you're going to be doing to, as proof that I'm with you. And again, by doing the signs in front of Israel's elders, that gave them confidence that God was leading. God was leading Moses and they could follow so all the, wor- all the words there which the Lord had spoken could be trusted. And then verse 31, so the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel and that he had looked on their affliction, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. I love that truth there. Belief and worship. For me as a Christian, I love the Lord and I believe the word of God and I believe it. And it draws me to a place of Worship, and we see that with the, the elders. They, oh, he's, he's heard our cry. He's seen our affliction. God is sending a deliverer, and they believe it. They put their faith in it, and it causes them now to worship. And this is really important because throughout this story, as we go through the book of Exodus, these people are going to struggle to obey God. Even though God has shown them miracle after miracle, and it, beginning with, with these Miracles that were kind of in the back door, you know, just the, for the elite elders, just to prove that they could follow. And, and even though they see the miracles and they, they believe, they're, they're going to struggle with that. Remember, they get to the Red Sea. What are we going to do? Oh, what are we going to do? And, and throughout this book, they're going to get to these different places. Oh, the Jordan River, we're afraid to go in, you know, because the giants. They're, they're not trusting. that They're going to struggle with this. But when they believe. They'll come to a place of worship. They'll come to that place. And and this is one of the wonderful truths about this this story that we're reading. We're going to see that over and over again. How many times have you been there where you were fearful, where you were afraid to step out, where God had led you, God's word tells you, but you're afraid, you're fearful. We need to believe, we need to obey, we need to worship the Lord. They're going to struggle with that, but we'll see that. We're going to see that over and over in their lives as we read about them. So here we come to chapter 5. My first point here in this chapter, we'll read the first few verses together, but my first point, Aaron and Moses go before Pharaoh, obviously. Look at verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh. So they met the elders, showed them miracles, and then they went in and told Pharaoh. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they might hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Give them a break from their labors. I want them for a few days to come away to a retreat for a few, give them this time. I want you to let them go and be with me for the short time. That's important to note that. And Pharaoh said, who is the 
Yahweh? Who is this Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I don't know who he is, and I'm not going to let Israel go. So they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please, let us go three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence and a, and a sword. The king of Egypt, Pharaoh, said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to work. Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many, and you make them rest from their labor? So the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people of the officers, saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick before let them go to gather or, and gather straw for themselves, and you shall lay on them a quota of bricks, which they made before. You shall not reduce it, because they don't have straw. Make them work harder. They're, they're idle. They have so much idle time that they cry out and say, let us go sacrifice to our God. They're not working hard enough. Verse 9, so let more work be laid on the men that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. All I'll tell you, you got to listen to me. Don't listen to these false prophets, Aaron and, and Moses. You're going to have to do double duty. You're going to have to work twice as hard. Stop listening to them. Listen to me. And because you have so much idle time, I'm going to give you more work to do. What a nice guy. I mean, you think about what he's doing here. Moses and Aaron, first of all, they show a tremendous amount of courage by stepping up to the Pharaoh. Think about the Pharaoh for just a moment. More powerful than even a president. This is a, a, a dictator. This is the ruler. He had the right of death in his hands for anybody, for any reason. Pharaoh. And they go right up to him and they demand from Pharaoh. Pharaoh has this ultimate authority in Egypt. And not only that, but Pharaohs claim themselves to be gods. And again, you can go to Egypt and find it inscripted on even King Tut's tomb was this whole idea of him being a god. The pharaohs were seen by the people as gods, and they saw themselves as different than every other people in the land. Remember, they wouldn't allow, they wouldn't allow um, uh, the children of Israel to intermarry, intermingle. That they, they wouldn't even eat together with them. That was their way of, of keeping their culture, you know, perfect and, and clean. But here is this Pharaoh, and Moses and Aaron step up to him, and they challenge him. They claim that they're the spokesman for God, and they say, thus says the Lord God of Israel. Notice, I love the way they start. They don't just say, uh, you know, excuse me, we've got something to say, we have something to report. But they immediately say, you know, thus says the Lord God of Israel. In other words, Aaron's not saying this. Moses didn't tell Aaron to say this. It was God. This is God's word to you, Pharaoh. It wasn't Aaron's idea or Moses' idea. This is God speaking to Pharaoh and demanding that his people be let go. And he says there at the end of verse 1 that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. So the reason God wants his people released is so that people could come, his people could come and worship him. So they could come and serve him. In other words, God is, is calling his people for a duty. 
Remember what they were doing, worship. Worship is a duty. Worship is something that we are to do. We're to go before the Lord with thanksgiving. We're to go before the Lord in praise. We're to go before the Lord and worship him. And God wanted his people to be freed so they could come and worship him. So God's saying, let my people go so they can come and come and worship. And uh, Pharaoh says in verse 2, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? In other words, I don't know your God. I don't recognize your God. I don't recognize his authority. I am God of Egypt. What are you kidding me? You know, you can almost hear him say that in that statement. I, I truly believe, it's hard for me not to believe that Pharaoh understands that the Hebrews have a, their own God because Egypt was so religious. They, they worshiped many, many things and many, many gods. So I, I believe the Pharaoh knew that there was another God, but he's saying here he doesn't recognize their God. He doesn't recognize his authority there in Egypt. And the only place Pharaoh will release these people to is back to work. I mean, that's what he, I'll let them go, but they got to go back to work. Not let them go for three days on a retreat here. So here's, here's really what you see when you start reading chapter 5. There's a battle going on between God and Pharaoh. God has just drawn a line in the sand in a sense. He's basically saying that I am the Lord. I'm taking charge. You need to submit to me. You need to step out of the way and let my people do what I want them to do. And Pharaoh steps up to that line and says, I don't even know who you are. I don't recognize who you are. And he's saying, these people aren't yours. They're mine. And they're going to serve me. And they're going to serve my needs and my people and my cities. They're going to build all these things for me. They're not yours. They're mine. See, that's really what's happening in this dialogue here. And then Pharaoh makes life difficult. Notice again verse 6 for these people. He says, uh, he commands the taskmasters of the people. And their officers saying, you shall no longer, verse 7, give the people straw to make bricks as before. Let them go and gather their own straw. So for some reason, the officials, Pharaoh and his officials, would have set aside the mud maybe and set aside the straw and all the building materials. And then the children of Israel in their labor would get, they go get that pile of straw and that mud and they'd make their brick and go put it over there in the sun to dry but now they had to go out a distance away from where they were constructing their bricks to get straw. It was going to be way harder for them to do the work that they were, were going to do. That was punishment from Pharaoh. I'm in charge. These are my people. In fact, you're going to have to work even harder to do your job. That's really what's, again, happening here. Pharaoh, he's exercising his authority as a god over Yahweh's people. Can anybody say yikes? I mean, he's stepping into a place. He, he doesn't even know where he's going at this point in time. But again, in these coming chapters, it's going to be revealed. From chapter 6 through 14, when all these miraculous signs are going to hit and plague the nation because of this one man's decision, he's going to finally, ultimately be destroyed. But here, in verses 10 through 14... Pharaoh thinks he's a god. And notice here, 
he thinks he's a God over the Hebrews, and I've titled this section, Pharaoh Tries to Demoralize Israel. That's what he's doing, verse 10. And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get it for yourselves where you can find it. Yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble instead of straw. Straw would have been the byproduct of like corn or wheat or whatever laying around. But they didn't have that because the Egyptians were bringing it, right, and piling it up. So the local stuff's not available. They got to go even farther just to get something, grass, anything to put in their bricks. Why? Well, I mean, I don't been a long time since I made a mud pie. We got to be honest with you. But I did when I was little. Did any of you make mud pies when you were little? And, and you, you made them. And if, if they lasted a day or two, after they started to dry, what happened? They started to break, right? Crack. The straw is what gives them this ability to stay unbroken. So they're making bricks that are, they don't have straw in them. So when the sun dries them, what, what happens to the bricks? They break. They're useless. So they have to go out and get straw. It's like double duty. They have to go again. And if they don't have straw, they make bricks. They're, half of them are broken, but their quota is what? It's the same. And so this is going to be very difficult. They, they're going to just get further and further behind. They're going to be more and more punished and afflicted. That's what's happening uh, here in this, this story. And again, verse 14, so the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmaster had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick both yesterday and today as before? So it's just harder and harder for them to do this. So here comes their deliverer. He took the elders of Israel aside. He did these miracles. Everything's going to be better. And so the word gets out, Moses, Moses, is, uh, he's delivering. And then when Moses demands, Pharaoh comes back, makes it hard on the people. And it's like, thanks a lot, Moses. Thank you. Thank you very much. I got to travel miles to get straw. The bricks, they break. Life is hard. The taskmasters are all over us, whipping us and doing all this stuff over, over. That's what's happening in this story. And here's some application here. The people, they believe Moses at the very beginning and Aaron. They believe and they worship. That's where we began this story. And immediately after the spiritual high comes the spiritual low. And we've talked about this before, haven't we? And it's, it's, it's appropriate here to see it that way. It's appropriate in the Christian's life. We go through a spiritual high and then just without even thinking about it, the next thing you know, you're on your backside like, what happened? What's going on in my life? What happened in my family? What happened to my car? What happened to my job? I mean, Lord, do you see what's happening in my life? Those kinds of things happen. They're real. And they happened in the children of Israel's life here. Pharaoh's goal, obviously, was to make the, uh, uh, the, their lives as hard as he could make them by increasing their quota and, and having them find straw. But I believe that God is, is trying to get through to these stubborn people. He's speaking to them. He's, he's showing them. He's revealing things to them. He's guiding them. He's given them his word. And there's been miracles, which is very interesting, miracles 
were shown to the elders to give proof that God was in control. I mean, I don't see that happening around me that often, although I do believe God is a God of miracles. But in this case, he shows them the miracle first, and they have clear guidance from the word. They have clear guidance from, I mean, the, the verbal word of Moses and Aaron, and then they have clear guidance from all the things. And then the next thing they know, they're, they're, they've got this big trial sometimes. And you have to understand this, Christian. Sometimes in God's sovereign grace, he has a purpose that we don't know. And we end up on our backsides. And we end up in the valley. And we end up wondering, what is going on? And God doesn't always tell us what goes on. But the trial has a purpose in our life. This church is in a trial right now. We're in, we've got two lawyers. We're in two different lawsuits right now with that property that we own that we're trying to sell, that we can't sell, that we're, it's like this endless cycle, you know, of, of me talking to lawyers and signing checks, you know, it's just like, Lord, what is going on? I believe that something great's going to happen at the end of it all. I just don't know what it is. And for you and I to be discouraged about whatever we're in is wrong. We have to believe and worship. That's our job to believe and trust the Lord, to do everything that we can do, to be upright and honest and, and pray and do the right thing, and then trust the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You trust him with everything. You don't lean on your own understanding, and you allow him to lead you through the trial, through the temptation, through the affliction, because he's got a plan. In the life of the children of Israel, he has a purpose. I'm going to reveal it as we go through here. Again, the key issue of this passage is who are these people going to serve? Are they going to serve Pharaoh, who's demanding their service, or are they going to serve the true and living God? That, that's the question here. And my next point, whom will Israel serve? Verse 15. Again, the people's loyalty is, is at question here, and it's being tested, and God's bringing them through this trial to, so they can decide who they are and what they're doing. Again, look at verse 15, then the officers of the children of Israel came, and they cried out to Pharaoh. So the, who are these officers of the children of Israel? You could call them the foremen, possibly. They would be the guys that were, our, they answered to Pharaoh for the quotas. They kind of manage the other Hebrew, the children of Israel. They manage them. So they're the officers of the children of Israel. And they cried out to Pharaoh, like, foul, foul, this, this is unfair. Why are you dealing thus with your servants? Verse 16, there is no straw given to your servants. And they say to us, you just keep making bricks. And indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. Now, something really important came up three times in just these two verses. Notice how the officers, the Hebrews, are treating Pharaoh. And I, it's out of respect, but I think it's misguided. Notice again at the end of verse 15. Why, Pharaoh, are you dealing with your servant? The question is, who are they serving, God or Pharaoh? And here they're saying, your servant. Verse 16, there's no straw given to your servants. We're your servants. Why are you treating us this way? And then, and indeed, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. So three times, the officers of the children of Israel, these foremen, are confessing they are the servants of Pharaoh, not the servants of the living God. You see the problem here? 
And God has to get them from that place where they see themselves as subservient to this false god, Pharaoh, and they submit to the living God, Yahweh. That's really what we're seeing here. Pharaoh, basically, he's rejected this whole idea of, of lessening their quota, giving them straw. He says, you guys are just a bunch of lazy bums. All you want to do is, is worship your God, and it's not going to happen on my watch. You're going to make more bricks, and stop being so lazy. If you have time to talk to these guys and believe in these false, in his view, prophets, then I'm going to make your life miserable. That's really what he's doing. Verse 17, he says, you're idle, idle. Therefore, you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. So go now and work, for no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers, or the foremen of the children of Israel, saw that they were in trouble after that. And they said, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. So Pharaoh's command, again, Go out and work. Get back to work. That's what he's saying. Now, this is a really interesting word. If you have different translations translate this word work, the Hebrew word here, uh, differently. It's the word abad, abad, and it means to serve. If you have a Bible that says, therefore, go now and serve, that's a better translation than the word work. Pharaoh's point in saying, get to work or You need to serve who? Me, Pharaoh. That's what he's saying. I want you to serve me. It's all about serving me. First, they see themselves as servants. And then Pharaoh is saying, you serve me. Get back to serving me. I'm your God. That's really what he's inferring there. That's the question that I believe is illustrated as we read chapter 5. Who are the Hebrews going to serve? Are they going to walk by faith and believe in God? trust in him and his word and be obedient and worship him? Or are they going to serve, stay in the same old place, do the same old things? They're comfortable. They're used to it. We get straw here. We get mud there. We do this every day, every day, 400 years. They're comfortable at what they're doing. They're serving this God. And God is trying to get them to change their mind. God works in really interesting ways. But that's what I see here in this this text. He's getting them to realize that what they're doing is wrong, and they're going about it the wrong way, and that he is there to deliver them, but they're not trusting him. I think it was the great theologian. What was his name? His singer in America, Bob Dylan. He says, you you got to serve somebody. Maybe the devil or the Lord, but you got to serve some. Remember that guy? I'm teasing, by the way. You, you know that. The truth is, is you do have to serve somebody. But their service was so misguided. They were comfortable in the land of Egypt, in the land of sin. They were so used to it, and it was the same old thing day after day. They 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 weren't ready for change. They weren't ready really to believe and obey God. They weren't exercising faith. They were just staying, sitting. They wanted the same old comfort that they had been used to. But God wants to redeem them. He wants to purchase them from. He wants to take them out of sin, out of Egypt, and 
delivered them to a land that he's promised, Abraham, the covenant promise. And these are Abraham's descendants, Abraham. And he's promised to take them out, and so he's going to do that. He's going to redeem them. But they have to submit to his authority and see themselves as servants of the living God, Yahweh, and not of the false god, Pharaoh. So this is what they do in verse 20. They blame Moses and Aaron for all of their problems, for everything. Look at verse 20. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron, who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh. It's your fault. It's all your fault. This is what you've done. So we want the Lord to look at you and judge you. Do you see what they're doing there? And in the sight of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to kill us. The reason that we're being um, abused, the reason we're afflicted, it's because of you. It's your fault. They blame Moses and Aaron for all of their, their problems. Now, they accuse Moses and Aaron of being the problem, but they don't accuse the taskmaster who was, you know, laying the sword up against their side or, or whipping them to get them to, to uh, uh, produce their quota. It's not Pharaoh, it's Moses and Aaron was really their thought process there. But the real truth that it wasn't either one, it was God. God is working in the background in their lives to get them to a place where they'll see him as their God. It's so interesting. Again, we have the vantage point of looking back. We've read the story. We understand it. Moses and Aaron, they approach Pharaoh in boldness and confidence. Pharaoh responded by increasing the workload of the people. But all of this was God's plan. The people started blaming Moses and Aaron. It's your fault. Not, I mean, they're, they're not, none of them are walking by faith. None of them have learned. It was so hard for Moses, as you recall in the early chapters, three and four, to get to a place where he believed that God had truly called him and, and, and to be obedient. And he was still shaken, when he, I believe, when he saw his brother there on the mountain and they went to Egypt. He was still unsure. He's still growing in his faith. He's still got to understand. God's already told him. Remember, God told him, it was back in chapter 3, he said, listen, when you go to the king, he's not going to listen to you. It's chapter 3, verse 19, he's, but I'm sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, not let your people go, no, not even by a mighty hand. God's already revealed to Moses that this is not going to be an easy task, that you just continue to press forward, don't, don't give up. In chapter 4, verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do all those wonders before Pharaoh, which I put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let his people go. This was all part of God's plan. And the reason God is doing this is there's two million of his chosen people, and he wants to get them out of there. He's going to redeem them, but he's got to get them to make up their mind that they're going to make God their God, Yahweh their God, and not Pharaoh. They're still serving Pharaoh. That's a problem. Who will they serve? That's the question. And God is getting them to a point to where they'll understand that. God causes all this bad stuff to happen in their lives because he wants to deliver his people. And you think, the first thing you think, well, gee, 
you know, if God's such a powerful God, why doesn't he just simply snap his fingers and make it all right? I mean, how many of you have thought that before? God, if you're so powerful, just take care of my affliction, my physical need, my financial problem, my marital issue. Just, God, make it right. Make it right right now. I mean, I think we've all been there before. And yet God has a process for us to go through that, that includes his sovereign grace, his divine guidance or providence, and our submission to his plan. God has a plan. How many of you in here tonight would, would say that they have fought in t- times in their life against the plan of God? Don't raise your hand. I, I would hope that you would all realize that, that you've all been there. And then you submitted to your life to Jesus Christ. And then you submit again and again in your life to his plan. And the more you do that, the more joy there is. When you don't submit to his plan, there's turmoil, there's struggle, there's strife, there's anxiety. But when you submit to the plan of God in obedience, then God has his way. And sometimes it's through the valley, through the valley. And there's always an upside. Well, it's hard for me to use, like always, universal terms. But but in most cases, God's going to lead you out of that valley in some way because of your obedience. God's going to lead you, and he's going to guide you, and that's really what we're going to see here in this story. The question in this story is, who will Israel serve, the Pharaoh or Yahweh? And it's through this really difficult affliction and hardship and and this demanding, ruthless Pharaoh that God is showing his people that they're in bondage, and they don't even know it because they're comfortable. They're comfortable. 400 years, you know, my son, my grandson, my great-grandson grew up here making bricks, and boy, he's really good at it. And they're comfortable. They don't even know. that Sin is that way. Wouldn't you agree? You get numb. Everyone else is doing it. You get numb, and, it, and, and it's, you're numb to the whole idea. And God sometimes has to come and shake us a little bit to get us to understand that we got to get out of this comfortable place of just doing the normal sinful thing because I want to redeem you. I've got a plan for you. And I, I see that God is doing that. Egypt, for the Hebrews, had been comfortable up to this point. Someone said this. Here's a little quote I'll put behind me. There's only one way to be free from the sin in this world. Notice this. It's to be miserable in it. Would you not agree with that statement? I mean, think about that. Are you miserable with sin in this world? Do you look to Jesus every day for your answers and for your hope? Or do you just kind of plod along, well, whatever, you know, just that's the way it is. That's, I'm just making mud and bricks and straw, you know, whatever. You see, the life for a Christian, we're not to be comfortable in this world. This is not our home. Would you not agree with that? I mean, this is not where you belong. One day we're going to be in the king's house. We're going to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever in this eternal kingdom. It's going to be awesome. And right now there's things that he's doing in our lives to make us sometimes uncomfortable. And we need to be this. I, I love this quote again. There's only one way to be free from the sin of this world, to be miserable in it. In order to be delivered from Egypt, God makes it more uncomfortable so that well, they'll want deliverance, so they'll see God's hand. And again, 
nobody wants to go when it's comfortable. I mean, 37 degrees up, up at our house last night. It was cold in the house, but it wasn't 37 degrees. It was that cold outside. Boy, it's so comfy being under that blanket. You know what I mean? And the alarm clock goes off. The sun comes up, and it's like, oh. You know, the last thing you want to do is expose yourself to the cold, right? We don't want to be uncomfortable, but sometimes God leads us to places that shake us up, that make us somewhat uncomfortable. So one example I read in John chapter 5 today is Jesus was healing at the pool of Bethesda. And Jesus went up to a man and Jesus asks him, do you want to be made well? Remember him asking that question. You have to want it. You have to want deliverance. You can't just say, okay, God, just leave me. That's not the way it works. If you want victory in your life, you have to be obedient to God's word and you have to be ready. And when you're uncomfortable, realize that God is sovereign. He's loving. He wants to make this change and lead you into a new place in your life. And that's really what God wants to do in his people's lives as they're under this this ruthless dictator, Pharaoh. God is teaching them through making them uncomfortable so that they'll want to leave. So the Israelites, these officers, these, these men, they say to Moses and Aaron, it's, it's your fault and now th- there's a sword against us. There's death threats against us because of you. All they could see was the, their misery, their affliction, their impending death. But God meant it all for good. God had a purpose for everything. He was using that difficulty, that hardship, to make them uncomfortable. Again, I would just say, even tonight, right now, you should think about how uncomfortable you may be with a situation. And it could be that God has brought you to a place of being uncomfortable because he has a reason. He has a purpose for that in your life. It's not fun. None of us like to be there. We want security. We want our little home and the the bill paid and the lights on and the heater working and the car that starts in the morning. We want all those things, a job to go to and great income. We all want that. Everybody does. But God has to sometimes make us uncomfortable so that we'll again trust him and not our money and not our house and not our things. He's doing that to the children of Israel. He wants to free them from Egypt, but he's got to get them to know that, that this is not the right thing to do, to submit to Pharaoh, that God is their king, God alone. Hardships and trials, they are designed. Listen, hardships and trials are designed to free us from bondage, just like here in chapter 5. Hardships. God uses trials. God uses in the life of his children to free us from bondage. Let me give you an illustration real quick. Elie Wiesel is a Jewish Holocaust survival. He wrote a book called Night. Very interesting. I looked it up and looked at it a little bit today. He wrote about a time when he was in a concentration camp. They were miserable. They were cold. They didn't have any food. And to make it even worse, there were bombs that were falling all around the concentration camp. But it was the bombs, while they were being bombs, that these Holocaust uh, people in the concentration camps 
began to have joy and hope. It was the bombs that were falling that brought them hope. And this is what Wiesel wrote. We were not afraid, and yet if a bomb had fallen on the blocks, it alone would have claimed hundreds of victims on the spot. But we were no longer afraid of death. At any rate, not of that death. Every bomb that exploded filled us with joy and gave us new confidence and hope in life. The difficulties around them, they were in such a hopeless condition. It was those bombs that represented life and rescue to them. The the bombs were sounds of freedom to these incarcerated Jews. Got any bombs going off in your life? I mean, think about it. Things that shake you out of your comfort, it's a good thing. I don't like it. I can name some things in my life right now. I don't like them. And yet God has a purpose. He's a sovereign and loving and gracious, merciful God. He only gives good things to his children, but he will allow us to go through some stuff, some difficulties, some affliction. He'll allow that to get us out of the comfort zone. God's way of awakening us to the reality of our sin. Here's a great scripture. I used it last week, I believe, James 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God does lead his children through trials. God's people... In Exodus 5, we're way too comfortable with where they're living. God had to shake them up. He had to allow affliction to come into their lives. And so Moses returns to the Lord here in verse 22. I think, yeah, verse 22. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it that you've sent me? For since I came the Pharaoh or to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. So Moses asks three questions here, but here's the, he's still unsure. He's still not walking totally by faith, obviously, and he's questioning God here. But, but the questions, I believe, are honest. Number one, he comes to the Lord. So he's learned at least to come to the Lord when he's got a problem. But he asks some these questions, these three questions that really reveal his misunderstanding of, of this whole thing. The first one is, why have you brought trouble on the people? So I don't understand your will. I mean, I, I, I can say that all of us understand Moses questioning God there. Secondly, he says, Lord, you, you shouldn't have sent me, at, uh, verse 22. And thirdly, at the end there, verse 22, Lord, you failed on the promise that you made. Those are the things that Moses is asking God. He's trying to understand what's going on. He's, been, um, he's gone to Pharaoh out of obedience, and now the people are, are accusing him of their plight and their affliction. So he goes to the Lord in prayer, and he asks these three questions. Again, God had previously warned Moses, this is not going to be easy, and and. Moses is not going to go quickly. You're going to have to stick it out and stay there. So I think right now Moses, at least here in chapter 5, he's forgotten some of those things. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anxiety. Who, who knows? But 
God is working in his heart. God is working in the hearts of the people. Moses is growing, and the people are going to change because of the affliction that they're under, the, the hardship that they're under. But it's in chapter 6, verse 1. You put your Bibles away, but to pull them out. You've got to read this one verse. You've got to read this one verse before we go. Notice how God responds to Moses in closing. Chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will let them go. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. See, God, God is working providentially to get Pharaoh to do this. God is working providentially to get Moses and the children of Israel to do what they're doing. God is working. He's always working. And, and I love this. God isn't mad. Remember back in chapter 4 when Moses questioned God in the burning bush and the burning bush flared up, remember, the anger of the Lord? But here's a merciful answer to some interesting questions that Moses asks of the Lord. And the Lord in his mercy tells Moses, he's going to take care of it. He's going to handle all of this. He's going to drive them out of the land. He's going to get rid of them. He's going to finish what he started to do and that God is in control. Listen, I don't know where you are tonight, but you can be assured that God is in control. If you're way too comfortable in, in your life and, and maybe God's shaking, rocking, allowing affliction in your life, it's because you're too comfortable. He, he wants you to be miserable in this life so you look forward to the next. Not sure what he's doing in your life, but I, this message spoke to me when I read it, when I read the text, and I'm so thankful for the word of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this text of Scripture tonight. And I know that there are believers here, your sons and daughters that are going through affliction. I can't determine if it's you or their decisions, but I do know that you know about their trial. I do know that as they trust you, that you'll get them through it, that you'll not leave or forsake them. And I do know that you always have good as an outcome. As we trust you, Lord, in our affliction, in our pain, in our struggle, may we as your people submit to your will. And Father, as you bring us out the other side, may we have joy and glory for you. May we glorify your name. May we herald your name to other people and tell of your wondrous works. Again, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.